if uh, you grew up in uh, any kind of uh, Christian church, uh, if you're a Christian, you have an opinion on baptism. And uh, your opinion is shaped almost entirely by the tradition that you grew up in uh, or that your family was a part of. If you didn't grow up in church, uh, let's be honest, baptism is kind of odd, right? Like if you actually just stop and think about it, like getting all dressed up to watch a pastor or a priest uh, sprinkle some water on a baby's head or to see a young person or a grown adult in some sort of tub of water or swimming pool or some kind of jacuzzi looking thing, whatever, with their clothes on, only to then have someone say some words and then dunk them under the water. And for this to be some sort of religious experience or have something to do with going to heaven, is, if we're just honest, it's kind of weird, right? In fact, what we're going to discover today was actually weird in Jesus's day as well. Yet at the same time, as we're going to see, it has huge significance. And the reason that I wanted to talk about baptism today is because baptism is a really big deal. And we need to understand that. And uh, we've added a lot of new faces and families around here as part of our community. So I want to make sure that all of us or understand what it is and its significance. Now, for many of you, this is going to reaffirm something that you chose to do sometime in the past. And for others of you, uh, there are people in your lives right now, kids, teens, adults, maybe they're friends, maybe they're family, and you need to have a conversation with them about this. And so what you're going to hear this morning is actually going to equip you to have that kind of conversation. But for others of you, ultimately my not-so-secret agenda is, is if you're someone that you would say to me over coffee that you have made a decision to put your faith and your hope in Jesus, to be a Jesus follower, to be a Christian, to entrust your life now and your, and your life eternally to Christ, but you've never made the decision to be baptized, I want you to be baptized. And hopefully over the next few minutes, you'll be more motivated to do so. And even though there are different brands and kinds of churches and how they do it differently at different times and different stages of life, uh, the reason that baptism is a part of all Christian churches is because of something that Jesus said. It's one of his most famous statements. It's at the end of his ministry, and uh, he, is he is signaling to us how important baptism is. So he's talking to all of his guys right before he's getting ready to depart, and Jesus says, go and make disciples, go and make followers, go and make students who will learn and obey and apply my commands of all nations, and here's our word, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, this is my formula. When you baptize people, I want it to be in God's name, which we would expect. I want it to be in my name, which at the time was, sounded a little heretical, and I want it to be in the name of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus said, wherever churches are planted, wherever people embrace me, and, and, and uh, part of that personal transition is, I want them to be baptized. And that's where all Christians agree. But beyond that, things become very divergent and very emotional. Uh, some people worry about their babies and heaven, uh, and can you even go to heaven if you haven't been baptized? So I want to help eliminate any confusion to this very, very important subject. Now, to begin our discussion, I've got to do a little Greek, but you all are super smart, so uh, this won't be hard for you. And there's this little Greek word that in your English Bible, it's translated bapti baptism or baptize. The Greek word is baptizo. 
baptizo. So you all should learn a second language, uh, learn some Greek. So we'll just say this together, baptizo. Ready? Baptizo. Okay? So now you know some Greek. Uh, And you probably know this, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so when scholars began to translate it from Greek into English, they would typically do a one-to-one translation. So when they saw the word theos in Greek, they would translate it as God. When they saw the word or the derivative of luo, they would translate it, uh, translate it loose or free. But there were a couple of words that they didn't translate, but they transliterated. Baptizo is one of those words. As most of you, because you're smart, you probably know a transliteration is when you take the letters of the text from an original language and you translate it letter for letter into the letters of a different language. That is a transliteration. So with the Greek word baptizo, they took the English equivalent of each of the Greek letters and created the English word baptize. But the problem is the word baptize in English has become a very, very religious and loaded word. But in the first century, baptizo was not a religious word. It was a very common word. Baptizo mostly meant to wash, to to plunge, to soak, or to dip. And throughout non-religious Greek literature, you find this word uh, describing people who drowned, Um, ships that went down in the ocean or on the sea. It was often just used to describe the washing process. In fact, one of the most famous ones, and I, because I'm who I am, I find it amusing. One of the most famous ones, about 200 BC, a poet and physician named Nicander of Colophon wrote a recipe for pickles, and it survived the ages. And in this recipe, he says, you take the vegetable and you baptizo it. And, and you baptizo it in boiling water, and then you baptizo it in vinegar, and when it dies, it goes to heaven. And the, not that last part. In other words, he's just appropriately using this very common Greek term, baptizo, because it meant to wash, to plunge, to soak, to dip. Now, where it can be a little bit confusing is if you take the time to read the New Testament in your English translations, sometimes it's translate, they translated the Greek word baptizo as wash. And other times, they transliterated it as baptized. An example of this is uh, when it's translated wash, is one time Jesus was talking about the religious leaders, and he said, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptismantai, unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as baptismus, the washing, the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And each time, it's a derivative of the Greek word baptizo. So obviously, it doesn't mean they get baptized like we think get baptized every time they go to eat. It just simply means that when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat until they wash. And before they use cups and pitchers and kettles, they wash them before and after just like we would. In fact, later today, before uh, lunch or dinner, hopefully you will baptize your hands. And then after you eat, you will baptize your plates and cups and dishes, uh, either by hand or in your dish baptizer. And if you haven't already, and you're a little OCD like me, at some point this week, you're going to baptize your nasty, dirty car. And you're going to use soap and water at home, or you're going to use the public car baptizer. And, And if you're willing to pay enough, some young adults will swarm your car and help make sure it is thoroughly baptized. Okay, so this is just a common term. Uh, one time we're told that the Pharisees, the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not a baptiste, he did not wash before the meal. He wasn't concerned that Jesus wasn't, didn't get baptized before the meal. He just simply knows, noticed that Jesus did not ate a baptiste, his hands, before the meal. It just means a wash. So all that leads to this important question. How did such a common word become so loaded 
and so religious and so theological in connotation? Why didn't English translators simply translate it wash every time? Why didn't they translate Jesus' great commission as go and make disciples of all nations, washing and scrubbing them and dipping them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Because it would have been correct, but let's be honest, it would have been weird, right? So here's how this word began to take on religious meaning. Most of you, again, because you're so smart, you know there's about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And during that period before Jesus, the Gentiles oftentimes would travel to Palestine, and they would go to Judea and Israel and Jerusalem. And and some thought the Jewish people were just amazing. And And they noticed that the Jewish people only had one God because they essentially were the only monotheistic religion of that time and in that culture and history. And many Gentiles just so appreciated the Jewish religion and came to believe that the Jewish God was the God that they wanted to become Jewish as well. So they'd come to the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem and they would would try to worship like the Jews and they would go to the synagogues and to other parts of the world and and essentially they would ask, hey, can I join your church? Now, they didn't say it that way because they didn't call it church, but essentially the question was, is there any way that I can become Jewish even though I wasn't born a Jew? So through those years, there were different Jewish leaders that came up with systems and processes to ultimately to where a Gentile like us could become Jewish and then live and act and dress and worship like a Jew. Now, different literature had different lists of things that Gentiles would have to do. But when you put it all together, basically here were the highlights of the list that they all had in common. Um, Men, you would have to have a little surgery to become Jewish. That meant that most of the converts were probably women uh, because the first thing that men had to do was circumcision. Now, let me explain circumcision. Circumcision is what, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, So first, the man would have to be circumcised, and then you would have to have a covenant meal that was, in essence, kind of a reflection of the Passover meal. And then you would have to acknowledge the Torah, the Old Testament, and, and the Old Testament is law, and that I'm going to submit myself to the full law of God as presented by Moses. In some cases, you'd have to memorize portions. Sometimes you'd have to memorize the whole thing. But essentially, you were embracing the law of God as revealed by Moses as the law for your life. Okay? And another thing you'd have to do is make a sacrifice. So all of these things uh, change from time period to time period. But in every list, in every list, for you as a Gentile to become Jewish, you would have to take, place, uh, take part in what was called a ceremonial washing. But the interesting thing is, this washing was something you did alone. Okay? No one washed or dipped you. You did it on your own. This ceremonial washing represented that I'm, I'm cleansing myself of my Gentileness, of my sinfulness, of my past sin, my old way of life, and now I'm taking on a new identity. I'm identifying with Judaism, identifying with the God of the Jews, and in many cases, you would even change your name. So this was a big deal. Now again, No one did this for you or to you. You did this by yourself. And the term that Greek-speaking Jews would associate with this kind of ceremonial washing was, you guessed it, baptizo. But they would put an adjective in front of it because it was a specific kind of washing. It was a ceremonial washing. So people would know it was different than just washing your dishes. And Jews, Jews, the Jewish mind understood ceremonial washing was religious. And there were several kinds of ceremonial washings. So with all of that as the background, 
And about 30 AD, something unheard of happened. One day, this wild-eyed, crazy man, barefooted or wearing bad sandals, uh, smelling like he'd never had a bath, he's wearing animal skins, he, he eats weird things, he shows up at the Jordan River and he just started preaching a very simple message. Repent. Repent, which simply means to change your mind, to change your life's direction. And his name was John. And John's message to the Jewish people was, God, God is about to do something. God is about to do something unique in our midst. He's about to do something brand new that's never been done before. And if you're not right with God, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. If you're not right with God when God does it and he shows up in our midst, you won't be able to see it. And, and being Jewish and a child of Abraham isn't good enough. He'd say, I know that you worship at the temple and make sacrifices, and you should, but that's not good enough. And so John, this was his message. He says, you need to get your lives in line with the teaching and the law of God. Quit sinning, change direction, repent, and surrender your life to God. This, this was John's message. But of everything that he did, this was the strangest thing he did. He went down into the Jordan River and actually, for those in the room, this is actually a picture I took of the Jordan River two years ago to give you a visual. John would say, if you're ready to repent, if you're ready to repent, I want you to come down into the water with me. And people would line up. They would line up and, to join John in the river. And we don't know exactly how he did it, but however he did it, those that were watching, they recognized that what John was doing was, was, was significant. And the word that they used to describe what he was doing was baptizo. They used the term baptizo because Jewish people understood he wasn't trying to wash off their dirt. He was associating this washing with his message and embracing something new. Just like a Gentile would, would do this if they wanted to become a Jew through ceremonial washing. So after a while, he got a nickname, the Baptist. The Baptist. But his name was John. And if you grew up going to the Baptist church, you probably thought that was his last name, probably thought your church was the true church because Jesus was John's cousin and his last name was Baptist. So, of course, yours was the right church. No, uh, he was known as John the Baptist. In the Greek, here's how it would look. Ewanus tu baptistu. Ewanus tu baptistu. That, that was John the Baptist in your New Testament. And this is important. The derivative, this derivative of the word baptizo is never, ever used in any other literature other than Christian literature, meaning this term originated in the Greek New Testament. What this tells us is when people saw what John was doing, they didn't have a word for it. No one had ever done this before. So they, they had to make up a term. They didn't know what to call it. So he literally became John the washer, John the washman, John the scrubber, the dipper, John the immerser. They, immerser. they just had to make this up. This was something completely new. And, John, and people would line up and John would baptize them. And what people were doing were they were, they were identifying with John's message. By doing this, they were publicly saying, I, I'm identifying, I believe what John is saying is true, so I'm going public with the fact that I believe what John is saying is true. It's not enough to just stand on the riverbank and go, mm-hmm, amen, I agree, that's not enough. John was saying, I want the people in your village, I want the people in your community to know that you are 100% agreeing with, embracing, identifying with what I say, so come down into the water and make it public. And then one day, and this is one of the, those moments in the New Testament, I, I just like, you just wish you could have been there to see it. 
John's down in the water. He's all wet. Uh, people, there are other people that are down there. They're washing their clothes. There are kids playing in the water. Some of the people are going, what's a bunch of fanatics? I mean, this was a public gathering place. So this is all going on, and suddenly John freezes. He stops what he's doing, and he points. And full of passion, he said, behold. And everybody looked at where he was pointing. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Everyone, this is the one I've been talking about. This is the one who I said was before me, but comes after me. And here he is, and he's coming soon. John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And Jesus comes down into the river, and he shocks John by asking him, John, I need you to baptize me. I need you to wash me, to baptizo me. And of course, John said, are you kidding are you kidding? I baptize you for what? I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. If there's a sinner here, it's me. You should wash. You should baptizo me. I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, no, it's, it's necessary. It's necessary that you baptizo me. Why? Because Jesus knew. Jesus knew if he allowed John to baptize him, as people watched, they would realize he was identifying with, he was affirming, he was confirming the message of John. And so John the Baptist, John the sinner, baptized and washes Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And, and the people on the bank of the river, they had no idea the significance of what they witnessed that day. So what happened is, What's amazing is then what happened not just was John baptizing, but then Jesus' disciples started baptizing, baptizoing people. So when someone would listen to the message of Jesus and in, my, in their heart go, I believe he's the Messiah. I believe that he's the one that we've been waiting for. I believe that he's come from God. They would line up and Jesus' disciples would baptize them publicly as public evidence to make a public statement that I believe in the message of Jesus. In fact, there's an account in the book of Acts where some people were uh, baptized by John who then left that region and then some years later finally found out about Jesus and that he had come. And when they found, that, found out what happened, they got re-baptized. Why? Because they understood that baptism was a public symbol of identifying with someone and their message. And there was a ceremonial washing aspect of being cleansed, of leaving something behind and embracing something new and moving towards something new. So that's how baptism got launched. When Jesus left this earth, he said, before he left, he said, okay, now you, you guys, you need to go tell everybody Everything you can remember about what I taught you, what I told you, who I claim to be, supported by the fact that you are witnesses of my death and my resurrection. And whenever someone subscribes to my way of thinking and embraces me to become my disciple, to become my follower, it is not enough that they just make a decision on the inside. I want there to be evidence of it on the outside. I want you to baptize them. So, three quick statements to just sum all of this up. The first is, baptism is a public declaration of a new association. That is that I'm going public with whom I'm identifying with. I'm going public with my faith. I'm going public with my association and in my embracing of the message and the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, just like Jesus publicly identified with the message and the person of John the Baptist. It's a public declaration. And secondly, baptism is a personal declaration 
of a new association. In the New Testament, the people who were baptized were people who had the mental capacity and the maturity to make the decision to follow Jesus, to decide on their own to be baptized. Some of you grew up in a tradition where uh, when it came to babies, it's like, I got to get them baptized. I got to get them baptized as quick as I can. What if something happens? I got to make sure they're good with God. But I just want to reassure you, nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament is God bothered by a child who isn't baptized before something happened to them. Now, in the, in the Catholic, Catholic Church, you may be familiar with the term limbo. Limbo was a fabricated place just outside of heaven and hell, a place in between. The concept and the term was created in the Middle Ages because the Catholics had a theology that you had to be baptized to be saved. You had to be baptized to go to heaven. But to be able to comfort parents while also sticking to their theology, they manufactured this idea of limbo. But you need to understand, limbo, like purgatory, is found nowhere in the Old or the New Testament. It's not there. Limbo was manufactured by people, and, and uh, even the Catholic Church and Catholic scholars have amended their views of limbo. But ultimately, what they're wrestling with is the issue of what, does hap what happens to people before they're baptized or if they're not baptized. But if you read the New Testament and if you follow history, baptism is simply public evidence of an internal decision made by a person capable of making the decision to follow Christ. And the last one is this. The baptism is not a condition of salvation, it's evidence of salvation. There's one example in the New Testament. You likely remember the story of the criminals that are crucified on crosses on either side of Jesus. And one of the criminals, he's about to die. He's in his final minutes. I mean, he can like rededicate his life. What's he going to do? He recognizes who Jesus is, Jesus is. He says something about it. And the amazing thing is Jesus says to him, hey, where I'm going today, you're going to go there too. See you in a bit. And he wasn't baptized. But the issue, this wasn't an issue for Jesus. Why? Because it's not some sort of mystical, supernatural gotcha where if I don't, then God won't. There's nothing about that in the New Testament. This is simply about going public with a private decision. So baptism isn't a condition of salvation. It's evidence. Just like my wedding was evidence and a public declaration of my internal love for an amazing 5'2 green-eyed blonde Shauna Simpson public evidence of my internal decision to commit the rest of my life to this woman as her husband. So here's the bottom line. If you're a Christian and you've not been baptized since you decided to become a Christian, you need to get baptized. It's a point of obedience. It's a point of discipleship because baptism is public evidence of a person's private and personal decision to be a follower of Jesus. As for how, around here, we immerse. But honestly, anything that has to do with water is legitimate. In fact, throughout church history, there have been environments where there was little to no water. There were environments where they just couldn't get somebody wet or submerged in water, and they've substituted all kinds of things to be able to do this. There are certain seasons in certain parts of the world where it's dangerous to immerse. So we're not super hung up on the form, we're hung up on the timing. And the reason is because Jesus said, once they become a follower of me, they should be baptized. Now in our church, we have another thing that can be a hang-up for some people. It's a video. We have people share very briefly about what and who 
led them to make this decision. And you need to know, everyone is scared of the video. No one likes to do the video, even the extroverts, okay? But here's why we ask people to do it. Because in Jesus' day at the Jordan River and everywhere else, baptism was a very public expression. So from day one, we've tried to reflect that as well. And one of the most powerful things that we do as a church is baptize. And, and we do it on Sundays, and we do it involving a short video, because this way people have the incredible opportunity to share a piece of their story, their personal story with the biggest number of people. And if you need to be baptized, please don't let doing a short video be the thing that drives you off. If you're someone just like, I'm just not going to do it, well, you can go to a different church to get baptized. I mean, I'm not trying to run you off, but you can go to a different church, get a group of people together, bribe another pastor, you know, uh, and, and have your own baptism ceremony. If you want to get friends and family together when it's not 15 below zero, go to somebody's pool and do a gathering with them and do a bat. You can do that. But here's the thing I'd just like you to consider. That when you do your baptism with a video here and you share a glimpse of your story, that moment that moment represents one of the foundational reasons that we even started this church four years ago. So this is an amazing thing, and especially for those of us that helped start all of this, to be able to celebrate with you. And in that moment, you get to share your story with possibly, possibly as many people in one gathering than you may for the rest of your life. So why would you want to miss that incredible opportunity just because of a little bit of fear? Please don't rob me and the rest of us of the joy, the joy of hearing and celebrating what God has done in and through your life and, and, and possibly through the ministry of the church. Don't, don't rob us of that opportunity to celebrate and for what it would do to our, our faith and our church and our community. For those of you that are freaked out about the idea of a video and getting wet in front of the people, what I'm about to say I know is a little below the belt, but I've raised kids, so I understand this. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus bled to death for your sin and mine. If you're a Christian, you believe this. The crucifixion was so gory and so smelly and so horrible. And the New Testament tells us that he did that for you and for me. For the forgiveness of our sins. And we're his followers. So I think working through your fear around a little public embarrassment. What's my hair going to look like when I come out wet and all that? And what are people going to think? What if I say something stupid? Whatever your concern is, I, I appreciate it. But come on. When you compare that to what your Savior has done for you, we kind of lose all arguments, right? And then to think what he's done for you personally, that it can be shared with other people, and you need to know, on the day that you're baptized and you share your story, there will be someone either in the audience or joining us online that will hear something from you that's going to help them take their next step in their spiritual journey because they're going to draw hope and strength from you. Like, if, if God can help somebody as broken as that, <laughs> he can help me. Perfect timing. It's just the way that God works. God will use your story in, as a significant moment in someone's life to help them take their next step. And here's one last detail that I really love. While I am more than happy to baptize you, 
Even better is that you have someone in your life that was significant to your spiritual journey and helping you get to that point that you ask them to baptize you. It's an awesome personal experience. So if you're someone, you'd say, you know what, this, this is me. Uh, when, when I look back, you know, I, I, I was in church when I was 10, and my buddy said, if you go, I'll go. So we just did it together, and my parents and my grandparents were happy, and they clapped, and we had a big dinner. But Chad, honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. But later, sometime later, I had an encounter. And it's at that point that I became a Christian. And to obey what Jesus said, I, I need to be baptized. Here's your, here's your next step. Your next step is to just simply stop by our welcome table. Stop by the welcome table. If you're joining us online, there's a link in the comments. You can fill out a card and just let us know. If you're not listening to us live, message me so that we can have a conversation. Because this is personal. This is personal. I want to talk to you. I want to answer any questions that you might have and to make this as seamless as possible. Parents, for those of you with kids, for those of you with teens, if, if you have kids that are considering baptism uh, or you feel they may be ready, then we want to help you. We want to connect with you and be able to help you make sure that your, your kids understand the significance and they're ready for baptism. So again, fill out the card, fill out the card online. Message us. We'll have a conversation and then we'll get you all set up. And we have a portable baptistry that we use here, a.k.a. a horse trough, but we make it pretty. Uh, it's, and we're just going to have a big celebration. But please don't go another season of your life as a Christ follower, never having obeyed in this essential way by saying yes to God, by going public with your faith. It's one of the essentials. So I want to invite you to be a part of this.